0: I had to work the next morning, so I was trying to, like, you know, catch up on my sleep. It was, like, 3 a.m. Asian time, and they were like, oh, are there any volunteers or doctors on the plane? So I raised my hand, and they were like, yeah, you know, this lady just has a little bit of abdominal pain. I think she just has some gas. Can you come and see her?
1: Welcome back to the Curbsiders. Hi, Paul. No, you're not Paul. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Welcome back to the Curbsiders. I'm Matt, the Internal Medicine podcast that uses expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice-changing knowledge for your brain hole. I'm Matt Watto here with my co-hosts, Dr. Paul Williams and Dr. Stuart Brigham.
1: Hey, how you doing, Mattnet? Mattnet? What's Mattnet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What's happening, Matt? Stuart, great to see you. <laughs> oh, okay, it's good to see you too, Paul. So or hear you. <laughs>
2: I think we have yet another very valuable episode for the listeners here. We are talking about in-flight emergencies, and we are talking with Angelica Zen, who is an internal medicine and pediatrics-trained uh, resident. She did med-peds at UCLA, and she is currently the chief resident of internal medicine there. The reason we were talking with her is because she responded to an in-flight emergency and is a hero. And which, you'll hear
1: more about that here in a little bit.
2: Yeah. And... uh We get into a lot of the practicalities of practicing in the austere environment uh, of a plane, of a plane flight, and I think it's going to be really helpful to you if you ever find yourself in that environment, because we'll tell you what we would do and what's available. That's right, I think. So, uh, without further ado, here is our discussion with Angelica Zen.
1: I don't have anything witty to say this time, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Oh, wait, no, I got it. And off we go. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs>
2: I'm sorry, Paul. I know that uh I know that hurts. Welcome back to the Curbsiders. This is your host, Matt Watto, along with Paul Williams and hello. Stuart Brigham.
1: Hey, how you doing? I Paul? think he said he said hello. You he missed it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, talk uh, right over me.
2: Oh, well, uh maybe you talked under me. Anyway, uh, our guest today is Angelica Zen. She is the chief resident at UCLA for the internal medicine program, and we will be talking about in-flight emergencies. Hi, Angelica. How are you?
0: Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks.
2: We, we are happy to have you on the show because uh, I hear that you are much more heroic than myself or probably my colleagues. <laughs> I don't want to speak for Paul and Stuart, but I don't think they've uh, ever saved anybody before, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> <Yeah. Never. laughs>
1: Just not in flight maybe <laughs> okay
2: all right so so we like to uh before we talk about the in flight stuff i do I do want to just do these uh kind of some rapid fire questions and uh y- your your answers don't have to be rapid fire, but uh we'll we'll ask you some rapid fire questions and then we'll move on to the main part of the show okay okay, all right, so what is a great book that you would recommend? To our listeners,
0: um, well, I really loved how doctors think by Jerome Groupman. Ah. I think probably most people have read that already. Um, but I had a physician I shadowed in college who gave it to me before I went to medical school, and he was like, "You know, there's some lessons in this book that have all stayed with me, and I totally agreed with them. I feel like it teaches you a lot about cognitive errors and." you know, the problems of, you know, making decisions based off of heuristics and the cognitive biases we make. So it's a book that I kind of reference a lot.
1: So I I think you mentioned the one book that I've read that Matt has not read. I have not read that book. (laughs) I've got that one. Thank you so much for actually making my day.
2: This is Stuart's Stuart has made fun of me the past like five or six podcast episodes because I have not asked people for book recommendations, and I'm obsessed with getting book recommendations. And you finally mentioned one that (laughs) that I
1: agree with and have read.
2: If the rest of this show is terrible, it has been successful because you gave a good book recommendation. You've made my day. Okay. (laughs) You should Uh, read it. What is your favorite medical app, something like an Hippocrates.
0: Um, well, I personally use MedCalc probably the most because <laughs> I can't remember any of the formulas. Um, but I also really like uh, AHRQ, you know, the one that gives you gu- gu- guidelines on like USPSTF recommendations. Um, yeah, but use up to date definitely a lot as well.
1: Yeah, Matt I never always forgets the winter's formula. It's okay though.
2: <laughs> Be, being a chief resident is for sure, uh, stressful. So what, what kind of things are you doing to promote wellness in your life?
0: Yeah. Um, well I personally, I like being outside a lot and I like uh, working out. So we definitely like doing some beach volleyball, kind of combine some sunshine and some physical activity. Um, but that's probably our favorite thing to do on the weekends. Really like going to farmer's market and yeah, just staying active,
2: Paul, you do a lot of beach volleyball in Philadelphia?
3: I think it does. <laughs> it's, it's almost exclusively. It's my <laughs> medicine suffering as a result.
2: All right. Um, okay. So we, we mentioned that you're busy. What are you doing to stay current with the evidence? And, and how can you, how do you suggest our listeners do so?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's just reading in small bits as you can, just learning on the go. Like when you see a patient with something you don't know, looking that up. Um, but I personally really like Physicians First Watch too. Do you guys um, have that? Um, it's like an email that goes out every morning kind of telling you like the latest evidence on from like any JM or JAMA. So I'll like look at it in the morning or look at it in the bathroom or something. Um, is, yeah.
2: Is, is
1: that a, a great a... way to see her. Is that a paid
2: resource? Wait, wait, or a no, free no, 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 no.
1: More importantly, you're looking at this in the bathroom.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no time. Oh my
1: goodness! <laughs> Keep your phone away from me.
0: Probably sleep on it. <laughs> 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 um, so they kind of look at all the different journals. They'll look at like the major articles that are being published. Um, but it sends you. It's very similar. They'll send you like a summary of all the major headline or major site. Major headlines at the top, um, and then at the bottom they'll give like a brief, like one to two sentences summary of each study. So, but it's free to everyone, which is different than um, Journal Watch. Right.
1: right. So, so Matt's paying for the next level, yeah, and he didn't even know about this. Yep. Uh,
2: I I am taking money away from my kids' college fund to pay for <laughs> New England Journal Watch. I, I
1: I gotta say, Angelica, you are absolutely making my day. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have so much. To boast about tomorrow on to the mat.
2: Yes, making me look stupid is a big part of why Stewart likes doing the show. That's
1: right. <laughs> well, that's not that's not nice, Matt. You're my friend. All right, uh,
2: let's let's move into the main topic here, Angelica. Oh, that wasn't it, Angelica. How was your honeymoon, and uh, did anything exciting happen, uh, maybe on the return flight?
0: Um, so we were in Bali, but we had a connecting fight through, flight through Taiwan. So our flight was from Taiwan to LA. Um, and they basically just told like, we have sleeping on the plane. I was, I had to work the next morning. So I was trying to like, you know, catch up on my sleep. It was like 3am Asian time. And they were like, Oh, are there any volunteers or doctors on the plane? So I raised my hand and they were like, yeah, you know, this lady just has a little bit of abdominal pain. I think she just has some gas. Can you come and see her? I was like, sure. Um, were there any yeah. other
3: respondents or was it just you?
0: No, it's just me. I think everyone is pretty much passed out. Um, so it's unclear if there were any other healthcare providers. They announced it a couple of times, and no one else volunteered. And so,
2: was the woman obviously pregnant when you saw her? No. Yeah. She
1: it, 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 it happened in the interim, Matt.
2: I, I I thought that you weren't really supposed to fly if you're like heavily pregnant. She. Or it was. A, I shouldn't say was, heavily. I just was, mean like if you're very pregnant. This
1: is through Taiwan.
0: <laughs> no, you're totally right. She was actually um. So she actually had a blanket over her. Uh. So I'm not sure if like the flight attendants had looked at her. Um. So maybe they didn't know she was pregnant because they definitely did not include that in their sign out mm. to me. Yeah. as we were walking over um oh, she's got a
1: blanket so- and some gas that's, it. that's all we have <laughs> yeah.
0: exactly because you, like, oh, you, you always
1: get a doctor for gas <laughs> yep. so what happened tell us tell um
0: us. yeah so i went up to her um i kind of so she looked like she was in a lot of pain i took off her blanket and as soon as i took it off i saw that she was very very pregnant as you guys have mentioned um And so I asked her what was going on. She said she was having, had been having this pain for a couple of hours. And just based on like how rhythmic the pain was, is coming like every five minutes or so. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, she's probably in labor. I have not done OB since third year. Um, but uh-huh. I just started asking her some questions, you know, asked her if her water had broken, it had not. But she had been having this pain kind of the, throughout the whole day. So she was asking for pain medicine, and I was trying to tell her that I thought she was in labor. Um, so. Uh, pretty much after I saw her, I told the air, the flight, I was freaking out, um, tried to, you know, pretend that I was not on the outside, but um, had the flight attendants look for their emergency kits to spring over, you know, everything that they had. And they were really helpful. They got everything ready for me, brought it over. And then um, I started, you know, the next step was kind of examining her. So I um, asked them to find a place where I could examine her on the plane.
3: And just and and the reading that I've done, it, it's because I thank God I've never had to experience this. Um, but you've never delivered a baby before, Paul. I, I've never even seen a baby. It's, <laughs> I managed to skip over that entire just part of my cats. training. Just cats, just yeah, cats. just exclusively cats. But in terms of were were you in contact with with the ground medical crew at all? Was that
0: yeah? Was that so- part of it? Yeah, it's because she actually was not a very straightforward delivery. So I was actually very nervous about her. And I had a lot of questions for the ground crew. Um, so I tried to reach them, I had um, the flight attendants, you know, ask the pilots if I could call down. And they basically spent about half an hour to 40 minutes trying to reach down to the ground crew, finally got okay. a hold of them and told me to go to the cockpit. And I was really excited because I was like, finally, I can ask them these questions, <laughs> I ask these OBs. And then we go in there. And it's like so much static. And then I hear a Way and I was like, oh my god, they're like Mandarin speaking. <laughs> um, which I do speak Mandarin, I was able to communicate with the patient, but I don't know a lot of medical terminology. So, so, so wait, um,
1: the patient spoke Mandarin?
0: The patient spoke mand- Mandarin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this all of this was I grew up speaking Mandarin. My parents, you know, are from Taiwan, so I'm pretty familiar with it, but it's not great. Like, I did not know how to say uh, push. So I just kept saying harder.
3: <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh.
2: <laughs> See, I told you um, she was a hero. <laughs> uh,
0: so anyway, so I went to try to talk down or talk with the co- or the people who are at uh, the ground level crew. But they were based in Taiwan, I think, because it was, a, it was a China Airlines, which is like a Taiwanese airline. Um, so but they were not very helpful. They basically told me um, we were still... I I had already told the pilot at that point to divert the plane um, because I had examined her by that point. Um, She was an active laborer. I have not even examined anyone since my third year of OB, but she was completely dilated um, on my exam. So I told the pilot to divert the plane. And then when I was on the phone with them, I said, you know, I'm trying to get her to land, but it is five hours away. We're in the middle of the ocean. What should I do in the meantime? Should I like have her push or just have her wait? And they said, you know, you got it. Just have her wait. Just keep (laughs) on waiting. Um, so yeah.
1: (laughs) So who's, who's with the ground-based medical crew?
0: I have no idea. I couldn't even like figure out who they were. They were not very helpful. They basically said, just wait until you get to, they were like, we'll have a pediatrics team and an OB team ready. Just wait until you can get here. That's all they told me. Great. Um, Yeah. Just trying
3: to keep that baby in there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh my God.
2: So what ended up happening and, and how did it all resolve?
0: Yeah, so um we ended up it was kind of a bad idea. I asked uh I asked the flight crew to move her to somewhere. She's actually originally in first class, which you know, you have your own private seats, but there are these huge desks in the way. Um, so you like, can't examine her very well. So they're like, no problem, we got it. We have this area, we can lay her back lay her flat. So they moved her to the back of the plane plane in the main cabin, cleared out like three My seats. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but she was with literally, like, all of the passengers. So we kind of created this little tent. They put up um, blankets covering, like, the top of the seat so people couldn't look in. Um, and then the lights were still off. So they're, like, shining flashlights. And we basically just tried to do supportive measures. I looked through their kits to see what they had. So they had um, they had some IV supplies. They had, like, normal saline. They had um, – actually, they had umbilical cord clamp this kit did really? and they also had like mm-hmm.
2: that was gonna um, be one me... of my major questions for you what did you do about the umbilical cord yep <laughs> rope yep
0: they actually <laughs> they actually did have um, they had metal clamps and then they also had um they also had an umbilical cord clamp and scissors as well so they're pretty stock the only thing there wasn't a lot of personal protective equipment <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> which was really not great um for my clothes, but uh, yeah. Huh. And then, in terms of like gloves, you know, just simple things like gloves. There was I had examined her, and she had she had ruptured like kind of a couple an hour into after I had seen her. Um, So you know, by that time, you know, you're trying to ensure sterility and you're trying to have sterile glo- gloves. But they ran, they had like three sets, and I had a few. But then by that by the end of five hours, I had completely run out of it. So they're like they're like spraying antiseptic spray on me.
1: Um, Wait a second. You, you said you had a few sterile gloves. Did you bring some on the flight with you? No,
0: no, no. Oh, I did okay, not. They, okay. actually had, they actually had a couple of pairs in the in the kit. I,
1: I got to say, one of the most telling things about this photograph that I see on the uh, the news article is not necessarily what's happening with the baby. It's the fact that there's this individual who's sleeping at the bottom left-hand corner through all of this. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's People amazing. Were pretty, yeah, they were actually sleeping through most of the flight. So it was actually <laughs> like, pretty private me. Or I guess for the majority yeah. until the very end.
1: They're, they're like nothing um, to see here. Just a baby being
2: born to my right. And how did yeah. how did the mom and baby do?
0: They did great. So um, so the baby ended up coming out um, without a lot of comp- like without a lot of complications. Um, she had a great vigorous cry as soon as the baby was out. I was very comfortable. Uh, mom. <laughs> Mom was complaining of vaginal pain, uh, as to be expected without well, any uh, <laughs> without any epidural. Did
1: you give her some oh, Tylenol?
0: Yeah, I actually did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there we go.
0: She was insisting on it. There's like no other pain medicine on the yeah, plane, so yeah.
1: we
0: did so, give her some Tylenol. So, did
1: did she name the baby after you?
0: No, I don't think so. Okay, yeah.
2: <laughs> and I heard you 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 dropped mom and baby off in Alaska or something.
0: Yes, yeah, so we diverted to Alaska. And so the flight crew came on board really quickly. So basically, I delivered the baby ended up, um, she was basically in labor for most of the plane flight. And then as we were descending, the baby crowned. So then we delivered the baby. And then as it was like the plane was still rolling to a stop, that's when I was like delivering the, um, the, the placenta. Um, so right when the placenta came out and everything was like tidied, they actually came onto the plane, which is when I didn't need them anymore. But <laughs> <Right>. well,
2: you, <laughs> yeah. men- you mentioned that they had a cl- an umbilical cord clamp on here, and one of my one of my friends who we've actually had on the podcast, Jeff Colburn, was an EMT. And he was telling me that he was he, – because my wife's been pregnant a couple times uh, in the past few years. He said, keep a pa- keep some clean shoelaces in your car in case your wife goes into labor and you have to deliver the baby in the car because one of the ways that people end up ha- running into trouble is they forget to tie off the umbilical cord yeah. and then there's bleeding complications. Yep. And uh, so shoelaces will work if they're – make sure they're clean. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, if you didn't have the clamps, you could have done something like that.
0: Yep, Definitely.
2: So let's go through what is in the, well, first of all, that that sounds like you you handled it amazingly because that sounds like a pretty bad situation to be to find yourself in, especially since you're not an OB. Mm-hmm. At least you have pediatrics, uh, at least some pediatrics training.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I had seen a lot of delivery, so. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, because I'm being perfectly honest with myself, I'm not sure I'd recognize an umbilical cord clamp for what it was.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely, um, we go to the newborn nursery deliveries, the complicated one. So it was good. I had like watched the OB several times. So that was good.
2: (laughs) Well, the, the things, were you doing anything to monitor her vital signs during the, during this whole emergency here?
0: Yeah, I really tried to, so I was trying to get like a blood pressure, but I couldn't hear anything on the plane. Um, which, uh, you know, I think, yeah, that was a complication. It was just their stethoscope was very <laughs> poor quality, um, you know, the disposable stethoscopes. So I couldn't hear anything with it. So I took like her heart rate, which is like a little bit tachycardic and her temperature. But otherwise, I was kind of just, you know, just trying to monitor her based off of um, clinically how she looked.
2: We will put a link to this article in the show notes. The the There's a New, Medi- New England Journal of Medicine article from t- uh, late 2015 called In-Flight Emergencies. And they have... They have a table in there which has all the supplies that are in the standard medical kit. Now, some medical kits are going to be more expansive, but the the medical kit, it sounds like what you had access to might have, it, it was probably, it was since it was an international flight, it wouldn't be the same standard kit that you would get on a domestic flight. But the standard domestic flight kit, it has a just manual blood pressure cuff and stethoscope. It has, can you pronounce that for us? It has... S- Sphygmomanometer. Awesome.
3: <laughs> oh, sounded very almost, medical.
1: Almost
2: got it. <laughs> and uh, it so it has it has uh, just a stethoscope, which is probably not going to be a very good one. It has this manual blood pressure cuff, but as Angelica experienced, and this was actually written in his commentary to the New England Journal article, they really should have an automatic uh digital blood pressure cuff on there because you can't hear the the sounds because the ambient noise is so loud on the plane. And this is, you're not the first person to have experienced this. So one of the other ways around it is you can just uh, palpate a pulse and you can inflate the cuff until you can no longer palpate it. Or if you have a palpable pulse, Stuart, then what's the pulse?
1: Uh? At least 90 systolic.
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and uh, they, they should have CPR masks in there um, they have IV kits and a little bit of saline. They, they, have, they have some pain relievers, Tylenol, antihistamines, but they don't. and they have epinephrine and atropine, but they don't have amiodarone. They don't have the epinephrine auto-injector, so if you had to give epinephrine, you'd have to be drawing it up. And uh, they don't even have a glucometer, which is something that I do want to get into a little later, some of the more common in-flight emergencies. But yeah, it's it's definitely an austere environment. It sounds like you did a great job with what you had available. Thanks. <laughs> what do you wish, if you could take any of that back, what happened? What would you have done differently or what do you wish you would have known?
0: I mean, I think I kind of touched upon this already, but just realizing how not private the plane was and kind of taking that into account um, it made it really hard to work later on, like when she was actually going into the into late or when she was actually starting to push, and like everyone was looking. It was just not a good situation. Um, so I kind of wish I'd kind of taken that into account and insisted that they brought us to the front or something, you know, where it's more private. Um, but. I think that's the biggest thing to keep in mind and definitely ask for help. Um, this was not something that uh, was actually a problem for me. The flight attendants were super helpful. They were like stand-in nurses, even though we didn't actually ha- I didn't actually have any nurses on the plane. Um, but they were still pretty familiar with some stuff, and they were kind of using some of their own experiences to help um, in terms of having had babies before, oh, okay. <laughs> which actually was helpful. So I think yeah.
2: Something that the listener should know, flight attendants do have uh, every two years CPR and, and BLS training. And also it's a good idea, like Angelica was saying, ask if there's any other passengers, go wake them up. Does anyone else, is anyone else a nurse or a physician or some sort of provider that can come help you out? And unfortunately, in her case, she did not have good connection with the ground-based medical team. But if you're on a domestic flight, the airlines are required to contract out services to some sort of ground-based medical team. And you can really take a lot of the burden off, off of your shoulders because you can. You, ideally, you'll be able to get in contact with them and they can give you suggestions because you might not be thinking clearly because you're, you're at altitude and you're, you're probably going to be a little bit scared or stressed. There, There is an AED on the flight, which you didn't need in this situation, um, but the AED, uh, it, that's the best you could do. If someone if someone ended up having a rhythm disturbance, you could put them on the, uh, hook them up to the AED and analyze their rhythm, but there's no EKG available on the flight.
1: And I don't necessarily recommend bringing amiodarone and benzos through TSA. They, yeah. They probably wouldn't have approve of that.
2: I bet you someone on every flight has Xanax or something that's right. like well, that. that yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Angelica, did you think of any of the legal ramifications of helping out? Is that something that you were aware of while this was happening?
0: Um, I was hoping that would be similar to the Good Samaritan law, so I was hoping, you know, I would be protected from it, um, but it kind of did occur to me about halfway through that I was kind of beyond, you know, what I my normal scope of practice. Like, I'm not an OB, so right. um, I was worried about how the delivery was going to turn out, and if there's going to be any problems from that. Um, but I felt like there's no one else to help her, so yeah. So I ultimately wouldn't have changed what I did.
2: And if you're if you're on a U.S. flight, there's something called the Aviation Medical Assistance Act, which has been out since 1998, and it basically says, unless you're grossly negligent or intentionally harming somebody, you're you're really you should be protected. And that's that's for domestic flights or international flights from, but that are being managed by a domestic airline. I, I don't, I have to confess, I don't know if, if you're on an airline from Taiwan, I don't know what the rules are there. Hopefully they're similar where if you're, if you're truly trying to do, put the patient's best interest in, in mind, then hopefully you will not have any legal repercussions. Right.
1: What Was she a citizen of the United States? Do you know? Uh, citizen of Taiwan. Yeah. So that, that makes things a little, a little bit complicated if, if a negative outcome then. But I, I think you're right. I think most physicians in, in your shoes would have done the same thing, regardless of what the, uh, the law states, because, you know, first law is to do no harm, right? So you're going to step outside of your comfort zone in order to uh, provide medical care whenever it's necessary. At least that's the way that I view our role in, in, in medicine in general. So even if I were a psychiatrist, which I am not, but if I were a psychiatrist on an international flight and so, someone went into labor and there was no other physician available, I think it would be my duty to help yeah. out as much as I can. Mm-hmm.
3: Definitely. So I think that's right. It's it's strange. The only, in the reading that I've done, the only consistent medical legal warning they've made in every review article is very strange. Maybe you guys came across this. is just do not pronounce the patient dead, which I just, I, I found, even if you don't get return to spontaneous circulation in the event of a code, that's the one thing you're just not supposed to do on the flight for medical legal reasons is actually make an official pronouncement of death. And I don't, I, and I don't know what the what the reasoning behind that is, but that's just the one thing I've read in every single article, and I've been trying to research this.
1: Well, I I I think some of that may have to do with, um, maybe some insurance reasons as well, because if they pass away in an international airspace, maybe there's some, uh, I, I don't know, some ramifications that we don't understand, some type of legal ramifications. But I think if
2: you've if you've done twenty or thirty minutes of CPR and, and coding somebody, and you're and you're exhausted and there's no one else to help out i i don't i don't know what right. the outcome's going to be terrible there so I, I i can't imagine you'd be in trouble for that
3: no 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 i don't think you're obligated to code for five hours but i i do you're not supposed to actually make an official pronouncement of death you know yeah, i mean I you, can, you can call utility but you cannot make a pronouncement and that's just something they routinely caution against i'm not quite sure i understand the rationale behind it and i hope to never find out
2: uh, it, it's something to point out for the listeners. Uh, Angelica mentioned she she recommended that the the flight be diverted. It's the pilot will take they will take your counsel, but it's ultimately their decision whether or not the plane will be diverted. And I think probably what they do is they take. What the information from healthcare providers on board, plus if there's a ground medical team available, they'll kind of take all those recommendations into account. But ultimately, the decision to divert the plane—you might feel like it's on your shoulders, but you're really just a um, sort of a consultant in that in that decision. You're you're not the final decision maker. Well, let's let's talk about some of the some of the. Uh, changes that occur when you're flying and that kind of set up some of these common emergencies. I, I think that's how I would like to end is just go over some of the common situations you might find yourself in and how you can troubleshoot these. Because I think that'll add a lot of, uh, if, if you're a listener and you find yourself in one of these emergencies and you've heard what you might do, that might help you out in that situation. So so the big things are people are flying, they're, they're jet lagged, their sleep is off. The uh, environment, the, the air on the plane is actually run through the plane's engine, so it's very arid, dry environment, and patients tend to become dehydrated when they're on the plane. Uh, also, a lot of people on planes, uh, you might have noticed, are ordering drinks, so you might be dealing with intoxicated patients, and then just the whole stress of the secure airport security and the check-in process and hustling to the gate, that, that can also cause some problems, uh there's decreased mobility so the chest guidelines recommend for high risk patients that they they might
1: wear compression stockings for long flights well i think we're beyond that once we're on the flight though you're not going to like is there a physician in the house yes i'm right here here's your compression stockings no i just mean if you're you know f-
2: if you're a patient think about uh think about these things oh yes all right so the most common in flight emergencies uh according to the uh some of the review articles syncope or presyncope was one of the most common ones. So Paul, any thoughts of what you would do in, in that situation? If you had a patient who's like presyncopal or, or has passed out on the plane?
3: Uh, no, mostly enjoy the quiet man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd wake him up first. Wake up. Well, you mentioned one of the glaring omissions is sort of in general, it's, you know, there's going to be variation between what's the emergency flight kit, but it's, and I did want to talk about alcohol a little bit more um, as is my way, but with syncope and you know, presyncope, it's, it, I think a lot of the places will actually have a glucometer. So even though it's not standard and sort of the default thing, sort of the more expanded kits do have gluc- glucometers, that's an important thing to check. So especially because alcohol use and self-medication on flights is so prevalent, that can actually precipitate both dehydration, because as you say, you have that arid air, and then you're dehydrating yourself further by drinking. Or also say you have someone who's insulin requiring diabetic, that's going to their blood sugars. There's a lot of situations in which alcohol can make things worse and also right. contribute as well.
1: And, and and it's the year 2016. Last I checked, we have a lot of diabetics in this country. So I'm sure somebody on that flight has a glucometer.
3: Right. Yeah, that's a great point. And then, you know, we mentioned the benzodiazepines, which, you know, you say getting one past TSA. I imagine that's the most common medication to go through TSA. Um, you combine this with alcohol, I think that's something else to be, be cognizant enough for someone who's, I, mean, I guess you can get to altered mental status a little bit later on. But for someone who's still feeling woozy, I think that's probably a common uh, cocktail that you actually see on, on commercial and certainly international flights.
2: And, and the glucometer thing, you just want to make sure that you're getting clean supplies if you're borrowing one because, <laughs> sure. but it's not Good on time. the standard, th- it's not on the standard kit and there's also no glucagon. So you might, you, I guess you could give epinephrine if you, if you really are in a pinch and someone's like hypoglycemic shock, you could, you could give epinephrine.
3: Sure. Um, Sublingual peanuts yeah <laughs> that is not I'm pretty sure idea.
2: you're not supposed to feed people angelica does that sound right to you if they're if they're, <laughs> if, if <laughs> if they're, if they're in a coma you probably shouldn't put anything in their mouth uh yeah. except for an endotracheal tube <laughs> uh, but there is there is no endotracheal tube just uh there's just the oropharyngeal airway which basically is just to prevent the tongue from closing off the airway but there's no actual endotracheal
1: tube right and w- which surprised me it, because because it, there should be an a uh, nasopharyngeal airway, yeah. but there's not, whatever.
2: Now, if you're seeing your primary care patients and they're asking you about flying, I, I mentioned the compression stockings for patients who are at high risk. The other thing is for your patients with chronic lung disease, you do want to consider what their resting O2 sets are because the uh, on the flight, the, the cabin is pressurized to 8,000 feet, which for somebody with normal physiology who's healthy, their, their PaO2 will probably be around 60 millimeters of mercury. That means that for someone who's starting out at a lower PaO2, it might be less. So there is something called a HAST or hypoxia altitude simulation test. And the, the, this altitude simulation test can be done, uh, the pulmonologist's at Cashlack Memorial do those for us, and they can tell us if the person needs oxygen and how much oxygen supplemental they'll need for the plane, and there's some forms that you can fill out there. But that is something that uh, I think a lot of people aren't aware of, and it's definitely something you should think about so that we don't create more emergencies
1: that Angelica (laughs) has to respond to. I got to say, Matt, Matt, you've actually (laughs) taught me something.
2: I didn't think that was possible, Stuart.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it happens every once in a while.
2: Um we mentioned COPD. There are, uh, sometimes there will be inhalers, uh, albuterol inhalers on the, in the standard kit that you can use. Um, one of the other big things that's going to come up is this altered mental status. So like Paul was saying, people like to get drunk on planes. There's going to be hypoglycemia. You also have to think about stroke and seizure. And these are the, probably going to be the most common reason someone would be altered on a plane. Stuart, you got, uh, you got something to say?
1: No, I I just had this mental image of someone getting drunk on a plane, but not in the plane, <laughs>
2: like riding on it, like straddling a plane, <laughs> right, riding it,
1: right, like, like a cowboy from Texas. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen.
2: Okay, uh, and and one of the other, uh, I guess there's just two other conditions that I wanted to mention: anaphylaxis. As I mentioned, that that uh, that can happen on the plane. There's no auto injector, so if it does happen on a plane, you're going to be drawing up the epinephrine yourself and giving an IM injection of epinephrine.
1: Or, or the the patient may be carrying an auto injector because if they have anaphylaxis, they're probably given peanuts and they probably have peanut allergy. Right. So, you know, first thing I would ask for an auto injector. Scream at the top of your lungs.
2: And there's yeah, those are pretty common these days. So, so that is probably. That would probably be a better solution than trying to draw it up yourself and yeah. drawing up the wrong epinephrine solution.
1: Well, worst case scenario, if you give them too much epinephrine, that you know, I'd, I'd rather give them a little bit too much than not, not, right. not at all, right?
2: And and they do have uh, they do have Benadryl or antihistamines on the on the in the kit as well. That that is part of the standard kit. Uh, and then finally, the other there's there might be situations, Angelica, you dealt with this a little bit. It wasn't quite a quarantine, but you were kind of trying to section off a patient and mm-hmm. uh, psychiatric emergencies do come up on uh, on flights or, or if you find out mid flight, someone has like TB or something and you're trying to uh, and you're trying to segregate them, then you can definitely improvise like restraints or you can improvise partitions and try to get them get everyone else away from them. And I think those are kind of just practical things to think about. But Angelica, anything, anything that we haven't mentioned that uh, that you've encountered on plane flights or that that uh, that would that we're missing here?
0: I've heard. I guess to expand upon the the stroke issue, I've heard that you shouldn't give aspirin on the plane in case they had um, hemorrhagic conversion. So uh, just something to think about too, because you don't know if they have a hemorrhagic stroke or ischemic. Right. So. Yeah.
2: That's definitely a good point. They yeah. do, they do mm-hmm. have aspirin in the kit. So if someone's having a heart attack, go ahead and give the aspirin, but for strokes, because you're not obviously going to have imaging on available to you on the plane. I was
1: going to mention that. It's going to be funny, but okay.
2: <laughs> 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 they, and they do have sublingual nitro on the plane too. So you could you can give that if the person might be having an uh, acute coronary syndrome. Just make sure their blood pressure is okay and you're not going to mm-hmm. tank their pressure if they have like a right ventricular infarct, which you really won't be able to tell because right. uh, you don't have an EKG. Paul, any anything we're missing here? Uh, I think we're kind of ready to wrap up.
3: No, I, I think we hit the high points, and I, I think it actually did a fairly shockingly good job of actually talking about the practicalities too. particularly mentioned like keeping the patient sort of out of the way, not clogging up the aisle, talking to the the ground crew. So I, I think we, I think we did good.
2: Yeah, right. I think people just knowing there's a ground crew and and having some idea of what's in the kit will give them a huge advantage if they ever find themselves in this situation.
3: And I just I'm looking at an article right now that actually has a bold point that says, do not fear litigation. Although physicians have been deposed, no litigation has ever been brought forward against a responding physician. So if that's any comfort. Uh,
2: Angelica, at this point, I usually like to ask, uh, what was what is your main take home point for our listeners for in flight emergencies?
0: Um, I think the first thing is uh, it's a little nerve wracking to be on a plane with no resources, but you definitely have to stay calm. Um, I think, you know, you're definitely the expert on the plane. So everyone's looking to you. So um, if you freak out, flight attendants are going to freak out. All the passengers are going to freak out as well. So um, and then just to try to think outside of the box, because there's not, Like you were saying, if you don't have an umbilical cord clamp, try to get a pair of shoelaces, um, and asking around the passengers to see what kind of medications they have, if they have any, um, would be good as well. And I think just anticipating things that you might need. So, um, you know, for example, for the baby, I was kind of trying to think of what would even after the delivery would the baby need some oxygen, were there any, you know, little face masks that I could get him, um but there weren't any, but, uh, you know, just kind of anticipate complications that might arise.
2: That's great. And I, and I'm still, I think my main take home point is that that woman who sounds like she was, uh, in her third trimester should not have been flying and that would have, but then you wouldn't have learned all these great things about in flight. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you gave us some great book recommendations. You, uh, Mm -hmm. you, you taught us about a good, a good (laughs) medical app and some resources. So, this this has been very helpful to me and hopefully to our listeners. Uh, Paul Paul and Stuart, did you guys uh, have anything else?
1: No. Th- thank you so much for coming on. It's been uh, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Thank yeah, you. It's
3: an incredible story. I can't imagine anyone could have done any better. That's just it's it's inspiring to listen to do all seriously.
0: Oh, thank you so much. It was fun.
2: This has been another episode of the Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole you can find show notes along with links to any articles books websites or apps mentioned on the show at the curbsiders.com forward slash podcast
1: what books did we recommend today i want to hear it
2: i'm gonna have to go back and listen to it i don't quite remember but it was it was one i hadn't read is how doctors think yes Ah, got it
1: yeah good job nice apparently you don't
2: Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes and don't forget to leave us a review these really help others discover the show and as we mentioned on prior episodes really help my self esteem which is very important (laughs) <laughs> so uh, we are committed to providing you the listener with high value practice changing knowledge. So please send an email to the curbsiders at gmail.com and uh, we've gotten some good listener feedback. so please keep that coming. Tell us what you love or hate about the show if you wanted to recommend future guests. We always love to hear about that. And you can follow us on our Facebook pages on you can follow us on our pages on Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+ or on Twitter at the curbsiders. Until next time, I've been Matt Watto
1: here with Dr. Stuart Kent Brigham. And good night.
3: (laughs) And this is Paul Williams. Oh, he's still there. Hi, Paul. All
1: right,
2: Paul. Good talking with you, buddy. See you later.